Welcome to Jay's Talk across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Also streaming live on sportsnet.ca and the Sportsnet app. Show Ali with you after the next 15, 20 minutes or so after a 5-2 Blue Jays win over the Yankees at TD Ballpark in Dunedin. You can give me a call if you like. Doesn't have to be about this game only. It can be about anything on your mind. 416-870-0590-188-666-0590-star-590 on your cell. You can also reach me on the people's text line, 590-590, name and location. I only ask for that so we can give you a shout out. So you can give you a quick, uh, cr- give you credit for your, your questions and ideas. Uh, kind of jealous, honestly, of Ben Wagner's view today. I know there were some clouds, he said, in Dunedin, like hovering around TD Ballpark. But, you know, I would kind of take the blue skies you know, over the blue skies that were here that were somehow accompanied by snow today in downtown Toronto, like such weird weather here, but uh, here's hoping Ben sends some, uh, some good vibes and sun our way. Okay. So this is what I want to do today. I want to fold a couple of topics from the week into today's Jay's talk, just because we haven't had a ton of full post games during the week. Cause it's during, you know, during the day, daytime programming and so on. So we'll for sure talk about today's game, but also some things we saw earlier in the week. Like I have some audio we'll play. There's one piece from this morning's John Schneider availability on Hyunjin Ryu, because there were some text line questions on Ryu throughout the week and a couple of availabilities or a couple of snippets, let's say from Pete Walker, Blue Jays pitching coach, uh, his chat with Blair and Barker from Friday morning. He talks a little bit about Jose Barrios and what he saw out of Barrios at the World Baseball Classic, and also about Nate Pearson, who pitched yesterday. So I thought that was pretty good stuff, so we'll get to those as well. But uh, first, let's do today's game briefly. Uh, To start really quickly, I am a fan of the pitch clock. I'm a fan of the pitch clock on the Sportsnet bug. looks very similar to the Sportsnet bug you see during Raptors games. Not super obtrusive. It's not there the whole time. Um, I'm a fan of how they're doing it. We saw it help during the broadcast today. I think Ian Hamilton was actually called for a clock violation, uh, and you could see the clock expire before he began his windup. Uh, the um called it a ball, so I don't know. I like it personally. We'll see how that goes as we get closer to the regular season. Uh, Baseball-wise, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. smashing a solo homer early in this one off of Nestor Cortez Jr., who I still think is a very good pitcher, with a very bad mustache, which I feel qualified to comment on as someone also with a mustache. Uh, so good to see the knee inflammation for Vladdy isn't something to be worried about when it comes to the swings and, you know, shifting his weight around at the plate. So, and, you know, certainly running on the baselines, base pads, and so on. Also good to see, and we went with the play of the game uh, with this today, but uh, Whit Merrifield with a two-run bomb and an RBI single in front of the home crowd, also off of Nestor Cortez Jr. I still personally think... Merrifield is the best option the Jays have at second base, but I really do think we're going to see like a, like a multi-tiered approach to second in the sense that it'll be some days it'll be Merrifield. Some days it'll be Espinal. Some days it might be Biggio. And on the days it's either Espinal or Biggio, Merrifield will still probably be playing. It just might be in the outfield to give one of Springer or Kiermaier a half or full day off. Um, as long as Merrifield is an everyday player, that's what's most important, right? He just needs to be out there as much as possible because of his bat. So even if it's not just the, as the second baseman, if he's out there as much as humanly possible, um, I support it. I'm also curious. I'd like to hear from you guys. What do you think the best spot for Merrifield is is for you? Is he your preferred second baseman? Do you want him in the outfield as the fourth guy and Espinal at second base? Do you want Biggio over either of them? Like what is your preferred role for Whit Merrifield to start the season? You can let me know at five ninety five ninety name and location 
Give me a call as well. Let's go to the phone lines, 416-870-0590, star 590 on your cell. Uh, Eddie calling in from Fort Erie. Eddie, how's it going, man? Good show. How are you today? I'm doing well. How'd you enjoy the uh, the game today? Well, just like you, well, just like uh, what you said about the uh, pitch clock, it went so fast, and I, I'm really, uh, I'm really excited for the uh, uh, games when they actually have a pitch clock during the regular season because it's going to be a lot more viewing uh, uh, for people at home like myself who watch baseball, not just the Blue Jays, but every every other team as well, whether it's on Fox sure. or on uh, on the Sunday night game. Um, but two things I want to talk about. Uh, first, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts about. Um, the predictions for the uh, 2023 season, because I bought two different kinds of uh, baseball magazines. And once one has the, uh, the Blue Jays uh, as a wild card, the Yankees winning the East, another has the Blue Jays winning, the, winning via division and the Yankees winning, uh, getting a wild card. Do you think it's going to be split um, among those uh, teams uh, uh, between the Blue Jays and the Yankees, who a lot of the people around baseball are going to be uh, selecting for the, for um, getting a division or getting a wild card. And the second thing is about Merrifield because you, because you mentioned him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, um, I think like, let's say if okay. If, if the blue Jays really mean that Kiermaier is going to be there every day um, against lefties as well, put him in the outfield against a left-handed uh, pitcher. But if it's against a right-handed pitcher, then maybe, uh, well, but, it depends on the on the matchup too, right. like and the and the familiarity. So that's where I kind of see uh, Merrifield uh, for his role with this team this year. All right, Eddie, appreciate the call, man. Thanks for calling in. Um, I, I I do agree with you on the Merrifield thing. I think he plays more often than he doesn't. Certainly, there will be days where he gets off, off days, just some rest. You know, the team has kind of like baked in scheduled off days. But I do like your uh, your your theory about. Matching matchups, pitching matchups, factoring into where Merrifield is, whether he's in uh, the outfield or because and and maybe I don't think he DHs very much or whether he's at second or whether he just sits based on righties or lefties. Um, That probably seems to be the most likely thing. Um, I'm also going to say as far as the Jays Yankees stuff goes, I will probably go. Okay, this is going to be unpopular given that this is Jays talk, but but I'm going to say the Yankees until they prove otherwise should rightfully be considered the favorites for the division. I know the Jays basically, they're not, I'm not going to say overhauled the team, but certainly gave it a, a minor facelift to a certain degree when it comes to subtracting Teoscar Hernandez and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and adding Kevin Kiermeyer and Dalton Varsho and swapping some positions around when it comes to Kiermeyer and center and Springer probably in right field. I, I I'll just, I, even though the Yankees, Ultimately, their biggest offseason move, their two biggest offseason moves were signing Carlos Rodon and, of course, re-signing Aaron Judge. I've said this before. I think Ben and I were talking about this last weekend. Ben Shulman, he's going to be with me tomorrow for Jay's Talk. But I've said this before in the sense that I really do think that because the team, as, as shown for the Yankees, they won the division by like a relatively large amount. Again, unless something massive happens, that they will probably still be in a very close dogfight for the division. I still think in my heart, the blue Jays are going to go out there and win it. But ultimately 
if the Yankees perform just as well as they did last season, they will probably be right up there again. Now, I also hear the people who say things like, well, the Yankees in the second half of the season played just fine. They were just okay in the second half of the season after their super torrid start. And they basically rode that torrid start to a, a kind of comfortable division win when they won in, in Toronto, they clinched in Toronto on, on, you know, quote unquote, our turf. And that's not always fun to see. No one wants to see that, but um, I don't know. I still think just until proven otherwise, it will likely be them. But if the, if the blue Jays eke it out by a game or two, I I wouldn't be all that surprised. I'm going to, I'm still taking the Yankees until again, until proven otherwise Um, for today's game. I wanted to get to, uh, real quick, we're going to take a break, go back to the text line in a very quick second here, but I do kind of wonder what kind of role Bowden Francis might have with the Jays this year. Like he has pitched multiple innings with three innings today. He has pitched multiple innings a couple of times in the spring, which to me usually denotes like some kind of bulk role, either a starter's role or at the very least a bulk role. I think we know Bowden Francis is not going to be a starter on this team. Um, it does make me wonder if we might see Francis in like a low leverage bullpen role at some point this season. If they just need bullpen depth, if someone gets injured, maybe he's one of the first couple of guys to get called up. Like I, I bet many of you feel the same as I do, which is to say, I don't really, I don't really want to have the same conversations about Trent Thornton or Casey Lawrence, who was optioned today again, all that much. Like I do admit I am kind of intrigued by Thomas Hatch, but to me, he's only one step ahead of Thornton and Lawrence. And today he did get out of a few innings unscathed. Like he did give up, I think on his second pitch of the game, he gave up like a huge ringing double to, I want to say Giancarlo Stanton. And then a couple of pitches later, another massive double to Willie Calhoun. And still the, <laughs> the Yankees did not score in that inning or the next one. So kudos to Thomas Hatch, right? Kudos to that guy. But even so, I think I would rather give me a tryout for Bowden Francis in a smaller role, right? Again, like not a super high leverage role. He's not supplanting the, the basses and the Simbers and so on of the world. I, I don't even think he's really going to supplant like Trevor Richards, for example. Right. But um, you know, th- two inning, or pardon me, three innings, two earned runs, a walk and five K's today. Like I'll take it for a guy who I think will at best be given a shot at the bullpen. And it'll be good to have that kind of depth at least going forward because You can never have too much bullpen depth. And if he can be something that's probably better, maybe like maybe he turns out to be again. I don't know if he turns out. Remember, we were all so excited about um, Max Castillo last year. Remember that he came in, I think, in like one of the towards the end of one of those big, big losses to the Yankees, the Rogers Center. And everyone was like, oh, my gosh. And I was a part one of these people. But oh my gosh, what is, what is Max Castillo going to have? And then he was traded. I can't, I'm not saying Francis will have that exact role because obviously these pitchers all have different roles, but I, I do kind of wonder if he is top of mind call up for the bullpen if they do need um, any reinforcements. I want to talk about Yusei Kikuchi when we come back from the break, but um, still want your text as well on the text line, 590-590. That's the people's text line. If you want to text me about Whit Merrifield, what your preferred position for him, really, if you want to text me or give me a call at 416-870-0590, 590 star 590. Back to the phone lines, back to the text line. You're listening to Jay's Talk on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to Jay's Talk. Across the Sportsnet Radio Network, show Ali with you for another eh, 15 minutes or so. We'll go a little longer today. Go to the top of the hour. Why not? It's the weekend. 
We're still waiting on the Leafs game to start, so that's that doesn't start until like seven o'clock. So we, we can go however long we want. There are no, there are no limits here. Blue Jays wrapping up a 5-2 win over the Yankees at TD Ballpark in Dedeen. Give me a call. Like I said, it doesn't have to be only about this game. It can be about anything on your mind. 416-870-0590-1-888-666-0590, star 590 on your cellular device. And also reach me on the People's Text Line, 590-590, name and location. Let's go to the phone lines. Ian in Midland. Thank you for holding, Ian. How's it going today? Hey, no, I'm doing really well. Thank you. Uh, I was just thinking about what you were asking about with Mirfield, and I think the Jays would benefit him as our, the fourth outfielder just because, like, he's he's been in every position in that outfield. He's he's pretty quick. He's got a good arm. And I think you're going to see a lot of resting going on with Kiermaier and Springer this year. So I would like to see him as the fourth outfielder. Okay. And then you just rotate through Biggio and, uh, and, uh, and Espinal at second. Would, would so you take? Uh, I think, would you take Ian? Let's let's say Merrifield is an option at, at the, as the fourth outfielder, or the Blue Jays could go out and sign a free agent like a Profar or someone. Would you still take Merrifield? Um, I would. I would probably stick with Merrifield. Why okay. not? Like right. he, he. I mean, he was pretty good towards the end of last year, and he's you know, like I said, the Jays are not going to have to or can't rely on Kiermaier and and Springer. And again, like you can always put BG out there if you have to, but I think Mirfield is your fourth outfielder. I think you got to commit to him. So, all right. Well, Ian, I appreciate the call. Thanks for calling into Jay's talk. I I agree. Like I think at this point, like it's it's not as though we are never going to see another player added. But remember last year, Tapia, the the Tapia Gritchick thing happened. It felt like right before the season started, and then Tapia obviously played way more than we any of us expected to play. I, I I did not think Tapia would factor into as many games as he did down the stretch, and I'm glad he did. Like, I think still in the inside the park home run is one of the more fun things we saw all of last year at Fenway. But um, it's true. The like the fourth outfield the role for Merrifield. I just I just really think that allows him to play every day. And I remember when he was traded to Toronto. And obviously like the vaccination stuff was like a was like one of the first things he was asked because of what he had said prior to the trade deadline. But after they got past that, I remember he did like a sit down with Hazel. And one of the things she asked him was about playing every day. And he basically said like he was used to being we used to playing every day and that it helps him be in rhythm when he plays every day because that's just the kind of player he was used to being and the, the role he was used to having let's say with the Royals. And then it, that wasn't the case for him in Toronto to start. And if you remember, I, I remember if it was an oblique injury that Espinal suffered, but he suffered some kind of injury towards the end of the season. Didn't get into as many games as we thought, like right at the end of the season, like right before the playoffs started and Merrifield played more. And as a result, his, his results were way more positive. So while I would personally like to see him be the everyday second baseman, I recognize that's probably not very realistic. So I, um, I will take, Merrifield playing in a variety of positions if it means he gets to play um, every single day. Uh, let's go to the phone lines again. Uh, David calling in from Toronto. David, welcome to JSTOCK. Thank you for holding. Hey, thank you so much for uh, taking my call. Yeah. Uh, I, I have two things I wanted to bring up. Number one, uh, everything everyone is talking about, you know, the Blue Jays and the Yankees. I think people are forgetting about Tampa. I've seen a lot of... Uh, projections that say hey Tampa's going to be right there maybe you know maybe not a top but we're talking a game or two so I think everyone's seeing this as a two-way race I see this more as a three-way race for the top I don't know what your thoughts are on on Tampa and how close they are because sort of the, the Jays and the Yankees but that's 
sort of what uh, what I've been what I what I've seen. And then the second thing that I wanted to bring up was uh, Barger. I know uh, he kind of came out of nowhere last year in the minors, and uh, I think he's had a, a great spring training. Uh, what are the chances you think you see him break camp? I know it's probably easier for him to start in in AAA and and see how he does because I know he only got a handful of games last year in in AAA. But I'm very curious if you, you think we see Barger maybe at some point this year, especially if there's you know injuries that's in the Well, David, I appreciate the call. Thanks for calling into Jay's talk. So let, let's do the Barger thing first. I absolutely think there's a real chance Barger plays. Major League Baseball with the Jays this year. I, I I don't believe he will break camp with them just because of the log jam in the infield. Because, again, we just talked about second base. They have like three guys who could play second base. Also, I don't think Barger has played a ton of time at second during the spring. I could be wrong, but I feel like he's mostly played short when he's come in as a sub for Bo or he's played third, either to start the game at third on those like super sub days or he has come in as a, as a sub for for Chapman. And it's it's those two spots I would want I would want to see Barger in any ways it's kind of funny right too dave because i feel as though all of us i do this myself but i feel like we almost kind of maybe overlook is too strong a word but i'll use it for this context overlook or elvis martinez just because or elvis martinez the guy has prodigious power for like a 20 or 21 year old like a young kid at the same time we've seen them flip Martinez around and he also strikes out a lot. So I think there's probably still some more, like more of a long runway for development time for him. It certainly seems as though Barger is, is up there at worst. He is like the second best position prospect behind Relvis Martinez. I don't think he breaks camp with them. I do think he is probably the best shot out of any of the prospects to play. I would say beyond Otto Lopez and Nathan Lucas, because I don't think we see Martinez really at all this season, barring some kind of major trade. And maybe Martinez is someone traded to another team for reinforcements elsewhere, if that's what you want to see. But yeah, I think right now, based on what the team's needs are in terms of like super utility guys, for me, it's like Otto Lopez, Nathan Lucas, Addison Barger. Those are the top three for me. But even, even though as a prospect, just to be clear, Barger is probably a better prospect overall than either Otto Lopez or Nathan Lucas. On the Rays thing, um, you're right. Maybe we do discount the Tampa Bay Rays a little bit more than we should because you guys know I have said this all the time over the last couple of seasons, the Rays are the team you just can never kill. They are unkillable. It is frankly a little annoying, right? I mean, this is their this is what their lineup kind of looks like, right? You're probably going to get Christian Bethencourt catching, Yandy Diaz, Brandon Lowe, Brandon Lau, Brandon Lowe. It can, always confuses me with, with Nathaniel Lowe and or Lau. But anyways, <laughs> Christian Bethencourt, Yandy Diaz, Brandon Lowe, Isak Paredes, who literally just yesterday had three RBI uh, for uh, Team Mexico, the World Baseball Classic. Wander Franco, who is supposedly one of the better young players in all of Major League Baseball. Harold Ramirez, Randy Rosarena, also starring at the World Baseball Classic. Jose Siri, which I, and I know a lot of people are very bullish on this guy, this young kid. He's, I think there's a lot of projections that show he might be one of the better center fielders, maybe in all of Major League Baseball, certainly in, in, the, uh, in the AL. And then Manuel Margot, who has done m- mostly nothing but match the Blue Jays in his, in his period of time here. So I do think there is a chance that they, they push for a spot, but I put them third because when it comes to their pitching health, a lot of exceptionally talented pitchers, but I think Andrew Kittredge, who is a very talented closer, was just put on the 60-day IL. He will probably pitch at some point this season. 
Um, Tyler Glasnow is still out because he had the surgery last year. I think they're being cautious with him, certainly. But even after Shane McClanahan and, and Glasnow, you, you got guys like Jeffrey Springs and Drew Rasmussen. They just signed Zach Eflin, certainly, to be sure. But I, I still put them rotation-wise and batting order-wise just behind the Jays and Yankees. But you're right. Like It should probably be considered a three-team race. Uh, let's, we don't have to talk too much about the Orioles. I don't think they did enough in the offseason to build on what they had last year. And then the the Red Sox, I mean, they just let Xander Bogarts walk. And, I mean, they signed Devers, I guess. I suppose that's good, right? I guess. But I don't know. I'm not, I'm not super concerned with the Orioles or Red Sox. Having said that, the Red Sox will probably be at worst like a game under 500 because that's just how the AL East is. Um, we have a couple minutes left here. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the, just some of the discourse I saw about Yusei Kikuchi because he's a guy who will factor in this year yesterday he went three and a third he allowed one hit two runs they were both earned he walked three batters and he notched three strikeouts as well I just think the discourse around him is super interesting because he was sterling I thought through the first I think three or four starts of spring and then as soon as he faltered which was I guess the one before yesterday to a certain degree and then yesterday as well we get texts and tweets saying oh the guy needs to be cut he sucks etc he like the guy clearly has talent and I think he is capable of harnessing it at times as well, even if it can be a little shaky, uh, less cash for him this year, but I think the blue Jays would rather have him than not. I really do think he is basically already locked down that fifth rotation spot to start the season. It doesn't mean he's locked down the spot for the entire season, but with the regular season starting on March 30th, there isn't exactly a ton of time for things to be like rejigged. We haven't seen Mitch white at all because of the shoulder impingement. It more or less just leaves Ricky Tiedemann as the other option to start the year. And I am excited to see him play. I, I just do have my doubts as to whether or not he will actually see playing time in 2023. So it is basically Kikuchi or bust. Having said that, I do think if we get to midsummer, or if we get to the all-star break or whatever marker you want to circle on the calendar and Hyunjin Ryu is ready to go off the Tommy John surgery, I think he gets that fifth spot. It's always possible that Kikuchi is not struggling at that point. And maybe there's a six man rotation. That's definitely possible because you're not going to want to rush or overwork Ryu after TJ surgery, especially with him in his now age 35 season. But um, Ryu is probably the guy who gets that spot, right? That's not happening at the earliest until like June. So between now and June, let's say the best you can hope for at the five spot is Mitch white. Um, I think when it comes to expectations for Kikuchi, if he can hover around an ERA of 425 or 4.5, I think, and get you, five to six innings. You take that from most fifth starters, but definitely from Kikuchi after last season, even yesterday, again, three and a third, two earned runs still only slightly above that ERA expectation. So while you take everything in with a grain of salt in spring training, I think the early success of, of Kikuchi in his first spring starts combined with some lesser results, you know, all things considered the past two times out, it still speaks to him being the fifth starter. Um, I mentioned Hyunjin Ryu, the progression from that TJ surgery uh, going well, I'm told. Uh, let's play about 90 seconds of Schneider. This is from earlier this morning. I think the question starts with Keegan Matheson, MLB.com. Hazel asking a follow-up. They're talking to Schneider about the uh, big lefty, Hyunjin Ryu. John, with the Ryu being around the team this spring, um, where is he at right now in terms of building back up? And what conversations have you had with him? The- well, it's great having him here just because of his personality, for one. Um, but, you know, he is in a good spot. He's kind of checked every box that he's needed to check, you know, in his rehab. Um, but just, you know, it's just nice to have him around. You know what I mean? I think the guys feed off of him. I know him and Manoa are boys. But he's in a good, pl- he's in a good place. He's positive. Um, you know, love seeing him every day and kind of, um, shooting it with him a little bit. But he's, you know, a veteran dude who knows what he's doing, too. So you try to stay out of his way. And he goes back to when this team was young and just starting this come up here. 
when you look throughout the season, I know picking a date for that is tricky, but um, what have the conversations been like with him in terms of looking forward? And- yeah, I think he obviously has been here, you know, when we were trying to do what we're doing now and was a big part of that and was a big sign. Um, and I think he wants to be a part of kind of seeing it through, not only for him, but I think for the organization as well. So um, not to put a date on it, but you're looking at, you know, when he does return, you're looking at a really, really good veteran pitcher that can really help us down the stretch. So I think that's what keeps him going. That's what drives him a little bit. Um, and I'm sure it's exciting for him to kind of go from where we were in 2020 to where we are right now. Do you anticipate him um, traveling with you guys or staying behind and working some more here at PBC? Probably staying behind um, initially to kind of stay on the same routine, um, get everything he needs to get, you know, kind of, you know, have a little bit more hands-on as opposed to being on the road. And then whenever the time comes, you know, where he can, you know, head out on a rehab assignment and do all that kind of stuff, do that. Um, I'm sure we'll kind of see him before he does that anyway too, get back up with us before he, he does really get ramped up. That's John Schneider speaking to uh, Keegan Matheson, Hazel May, and the Assembled Blue Jays media this morning. I'll always have a lot of time for Ryu because to me, and I think to a lot of people, he signifies the team under Shapiro and Atkins going out there and spending top dollar, even if his tenure with the team from an actual baseball perspective probably does leave something to be desired, like COVID robbed a lot of people of watching him play, the sticky stuff cracked down, affected him a bit, and then he got injured, right? I still think he is the signpost of the team shifting to a new era and, you know, I do wonder how important his mentorship is to someone like Alec Manoa. They're bros. They hang out. I love seeing Ryu introduce Manoa to the Korean BBQ places around the city. And there are a lot. Like, I wonder if they ever go up to Young and Finch. There are a lot of places that are up there that are, like, really good. Tom, I don't know if Tom or Nick, I don't know if you guys have ever been up there. Lot, lots of Korean BBQ places. <laughs> Young and Finch. Uh, but that mentorship is something you can't really quantify, right? I have a lot of time for him. Uh, the introductory press conference is also the first and last time our bosses let me go on TV when I filled in for Blair on the then writer's block. So I guess our bosses figured out um, I have a, a face for radio, which is uh, you know probably not untrue. Um, on the text line, uh, before we go, a minute left here, I see a text from Paul in South Frontenac. We have a wealth of riches with wit, SB, and BGO. I say play the hot hand. If they are all hitting, great. Keep two, uh, keep wit in the lineup, whatever it takes. Uh, Joey in North Battleford. I like him at second. Need a solid professional everyday guy at second. I think that will help both defense more than a different guy every day. And Chuck from Oshawa. Witt is clearly the number one at second base. Love this guy as a J. Thank you, guys. That's where I fall, too. I think Whit Merrifield's got to be the guy. But, uh, hey, you never know. Things change. But if he plays every day, Jays will be in a good spot. That does it for Jays Talk here today. Uh, for Ben Wagner, Tom Young, Ed Pandino, Nick Blackmore, I'm Show Ali. Thanks for listening to Jays Talk presented by Crown Rust Protection. Have a great Saturday night, everyone. Ben Shulman is with me for pregame and Jays Talk tomorrow. We'll talk to you then.